You're listening to the Fertility Docs Uncensored Podcast, featuring insight on all things fertility from some of the top-rated doctors around America. Whether you're struggling to conceive or just planning for your future family, we're here to guide you every step of the way. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Susan Hudson with Fertility Docs Uncensored, and I am joined today with the lovely Dr. Carrie Bedient from Fertility Center of Las Vegas. Hello. And the marvelous Dr. Abby Eblen from Nashville Fertility Center. Hey, everybody. Everything going good for you guys? We're hanging in there in Nashville. How about you, Carrie? What's going on in Las Vegas? Not a whole lot of of anything. I, you know, we're hanging out at home. We're on another three week lockdown right now. And oh wow! Yeah, it, I mean, it's a semi lockdown, but it's a. Are the casinos locked down? They're operating at really reduced capacity. All the restaurants are at really reduced capacity. Like the governor knocked everything down again because um, the case numbers are going going up again. Yeah. Um, but but everything is is down. So we're, you know, we're hanging out at home. Not that I ever really leave home anyway, because I'm kind of a nerd like that. Like the the first week in November, usually I have a really strict policy of the day after Thanksgiving is when I decorate for Christmas. But this year, in an effort to end the year earlier, I was like, <laughs> I'm decorating for Christmas the first week in November because my husband sent a text message to my in-laws in response to them putting up Christmas decorations early that said, I'll allow it. So I have it in writing Ooh. that Christmas decorations early were acceptable this year because normally I have a policy, not until the day after Thanksgiving. But this year, Christmas vomited all over my house wow. about the first weekend in November. And so I've just been steadily adding more and more and more um, to the house. So I now have a 12 foot Grinch blow up in front of my house because <laughs> the Grinch wow. changed the appropriate theme for 2020. Well, there you go. That's true. So that's what I've been doing. What have you guys been up to? I broke my Christmas decorating rule this year too. I I always decorate the weekend after Thanksgiving. Um, Granted, we have had years that it doesn't come down for a really long time, but that's always my rule for when it goes up. And um, we have a very small family gathering that we were going to have. And um, one of my children ended up in quarantine um, because of an exposure at school. And so I was like, eh, nobody's coming until afterwards. So we, we put off Thanksgiving to the weekend after of Thanksgiving. So I'm like, well, if I'm losing that for that, then I'm going to start the week before. And it was so great. It was so nice. I'm like this way, my family gets to enjoy it, you know, a little bit longer. And I got Christmas lights on my house for the first time. I was so excited. Got it. Is super exciting. Did you put the Christmas lights up or did you enlist your husband and children to do that? I actually for paid somebody to put my Christmas lights up. Wow. Because I'm jealous. Well, we bought a house about a year and a half ago and the house came with Christmas lights. Um, so I purchased the lights from the previous wow. owner and um I had gotten a quote from the company about how much it was to put up and put down and and it's expensive. And we had just bought the house and I was like, ah, it's not going to happen this year. And so my, my wonderful, wonderful husband attempted to put up Christmas lights and got him up over our garage. And then they stayed there all year long until I had them taken down (laughs) because I was replacing the incandescent bulbs with the led bulbs. And I was like, 
this is my birthday present this year. (laughs) (laughs) He really didn't have a lot where he could argue because like he, you know, it's not like he did everything he needed to last year. And so Susan, so, I think you need to text a, text us a picture of your of your decorated house. I'm always in awe and jealous of the people who have people professionally put it up because all the lines of all the lights are so perfect and it's amazing. And I mean, it was a crew of like seven or eight people, and it was hilarious wow. watching them like climb on my house and um, you know the, these giant ladders, which I would not let anybody that I love crawl on. Like just looking at the ladders, kind of made my heart skip a beat. Um, but they had my entire house done in like forty-five minutes. It was absolutely amazing. So it didn't look like the Chevy Chase house, does it? In Christmas Vacation? No, no. It's like it's it's white lights, and and I'm a warm white white person. Okay. I don't like the cool Good. white lights. Yeah. Yes. I don't like cool lights either. Yeah. Because <laughs> no, you either I, like I one agree. or the other, and please don't mix them. Please don't mix them. It kills me when I'm in oh, a no. yard and they're mixed. I'm like, you can't do that. But I do have a um, <laughs> giant penguin and a giant Santa Claus. And we've got reindeer with a sleigh. So Okay, she's a perfectionist, I'm guessing. How about you, Abby? What are you up to for holiday prep? Well, you know, my husband was really good about doing like our decoration outdoors, which we have minimal. Um, and the indoors looks really nice. And he's done a lot of work. I did decorate the Christmas tree, but my big responsibility is trying to find the picture for the Christmas card and trying to figure out which Christmas card we're going to do. And also we had this calendar that we've started a long time ago, sort of our year. And and I do it mainly just to keep a record of kind of what we do every year. So that always stresses me out. I was stressed out this weekend thinking about it. So the good news is I wrangled my family members much to their um, dismay, I guess, today, made everybody dress up and sit down and you know, like everybody else, we didn't really go anywhere this year. So I don't really have any great family pictures. Like in years past, Mm -hmm. I've had some fun places that we've been. And this year it was us sitting in front of the Christmas tree. And so you guys can help me. The three Christmas cards that I'm kind of tied or kind of three top leaders for my Christmas card. One says spread love. So that's one. The other one one says quarantined at home. And then the third one says Merry Christmas from homebodies. And, you know, we put our name after that. So I, I wanted it to have like a quarantine feel, you know, since this is such a unique year, I feel like my Christmas card. Spread love, not COVID. That's what I was going to say. Is it spread love, not COVID or? Well, it's just the implication that you want to spread love. It, you can't change. Like I, I go through Minted and, you know, they have certain cards set up. So that, that's. The... I like spread love personally, but. <laughs> yeah, I kind of like yeah. that one. That's kind of the one I'm leaning toward. Yeah. Yeah. It fits our picture better too. Mm-hmm. So. Anyway, you may be getting that Christmas card. <laughs> if you can choose like a little icon below it, or if you can put one in, do do like a little red or green coronavirus because I could see how it looks like a festive little ornament. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Good thought. Yeah. So that's what's going on with me. Yay. I'm impressed that you have both cards and pictures. Because we, I, I have been with my husband for 15, you know, 16 years. We've been married for like 11 of those. 
And uh, I have yet to ever send out a Christmas card. I have one drafted that I was going to send out six years ago uh, that's still on my computer. But I have never actually sent one out. Yeah, it's more of an ordeal than what you would think. You got to pick the picture and the card, and then decide if you want to put something on the back. And Minted has these cute little envelopes, so you have to decide like what you want on the envelope, and then you have to get the addresses in. It's it's kind of an ordeal. It's the address. It's the addressing. I haven't done I haven't done Christmas cards in over a decade. And it's, it's the address thing. I'm like, just the idea of thinking about having to get all those addresses together, like it, it really kind of makes me panic. Well, you know, I'm not getting a kickback from Minted, but I will say once you, give, once you give them your Christmas card list with the addresses in it, they put them in there. So every year, like this will be the third year, I think where all of our Christmas cards will come pre-printed with the addresses on them. Abby, you need to be getting a kickback from Minted. <laughs> Like they are missing an opportunity here. Like you, you need to get the kickback for minted because that is, that is probably the only way I would ever send out Christmas cards. Even then it's highly suspicious. Maybe, maybe someday when like I end up having kids get married and I have to come up with that list anyway, I can just then start using it because there's a secondary reason, but I just don't think I could do it for Christmas cards. Yeah. Well, so ladies, what are are we talking about today? Well, today we're going to talk a little bit about kind of exercise and how excessive exercise can sometimes be too much of a good thing. But let's do our question of the day, which kind of relates somewhat to um, kind of our major topic. Um, Our question is, how does weight and exercise affect fertility? I find a lot of information about being overweight, but not as much information for people who have a lower BMI. My current BMI is 21. I work out three days a week, two yoga classes and a bar class. I didn't think this was concerning, but my cycles range from 28 to 36 days. I'm wondering if weight and exercise could be the cause. So ladies, I think weight is really important, both too much or too little. Both of those kind of change your hormones in a way that kind of like if you have too much weight, sometimes your male hormones kind of simplistically are a little bit of alabalance with your female hormones. And so therefore you can stop menstruating. If you're way underweight, just the concern is, I sort of tell my patients, it's kind of like your body goes back to the caveman days. You know, they feel like, like as a woman, you have to have a certain amount of fat to make it through the winter with your you know new baby <laughs> or your, your fetus. And if you don't have a certain pool of fat, um, you, you may be then, you know, it's, it's concerning for the baby that the baby or the fetus won't get enough nutrition. And so, um, you know, either underweight or overweight can be a bad thing, basically. Yeah, I would, um, I would say the same thing. And it's actually some of the more challenging conversations, because everyone thinks, oh, it's got to be really hard to tell someone to lose a lot of weight. Well, it's equally as hard to tell someone who really truly loves exercising, who uses it as stress relief, maybe it's a part of their job that you need to stop doing this because it's having a negative impact. Now, to to speak to what our question asker is asking, I think two yoga classes and a bar class, those are less likely to be of an intensity where they cause a problem. Um, where, Where I tend to see more issues, it's a lot of my runners, a lot of my spinners, um, those, I mean, those are the two probably most popular things that I see in my Vegas population, um, in addition to CrossFit being 
very high up there. Like it's a very close third. Um, Orange theory and all those. (laughs) Exactly. All Mm -hmm. of those are very high intensity. And where, where I would be worried about our question asker is that, especially when you look into bar classes, if she's got a, a history of dancing, for example, particularly ballerinas are kind of the, the stereotypical, but it extends to many other types as well. It's the combination of really intense workouts and a high emphasis on a very live frame. And so ballerinas and gymnasts, um, even swimmers, where you got to move all the time, you're burning crazy number of calories and you have to be very light, that pairing comes together with what's called the athletic triad, which is a lot of physical activity, a very uh, limited caloric intake, and amenorrhea, or a lack of periods, if you want to, you know, if you want to use the Latin word, the the amenorrhea describes lack of periods. So, um, so those are kind of the things that I think about in in regards to this specific question. What do you think, Susan? Uh, I look out here. Our her exercise looks really what I would consider moderate exercise. Um, as, as you mentioned, BMI is twenty one. It is on the lower range of normal, but not below normal by any any stretch of the imagination. Um, I think one one thing that I would be concerned about for this patient particularly is, is does she have anything else going on, such as maybe a thyroid disorder, maybe an issue with prolactin, um, or most commonly having PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome. People always think that um, just because somebody is thin that they can't have PCOS. And, and that's that I think is a, a big misnomer. Yes, there are absolutely lots of women with PCOS who do have weight issues, Okay but not all of them do. And so um, as we've talked about on, on prior episodes about PCOS, realize that PCOS is kind of the way your body is wired. And some people, their body is wired to have those irregular periods, even at lower weight, whereas other women, you know, they're all, it, it's all along a spectrum that they may not have some of those PCOS typical symptoms of irregular periods until they end up gaining weight. So just because you're normal weight doesn't mean PCOS is not part of the picture. I mean, st- statistically, based on everything I see for her, that's what my guess would be is, is the issue. And, and fortunately, that's actually a, a pretty easy thing for us to deal with and actually maybe a little bit easier than, than our main topic for today. What is our main topic for today? Our main topic for today is too much of a good thing. So how does exercise... Um, affect fertility in a negative fashion. We always, as our, you know, as our, as our listener mentioned, a lot of times we talk about exercise being a positive thing, but, but when can it fall into a negative category and, and how do we know when too much is too much? So typically I think when, if somebody's had regular, so it's, it's hard to kind of know exactly for an individual. And I always tell patients, you know, I'm not telling you that too much exercise is causing this problem, but your body's telling, you know, yourself that because your, your cycles have changed. So if you're somebody that has pretty regular cycles and has had regular cycles all alone, along, and you start to notice that your cycles start to space out, and then maybe you miss a period, and it just starts going and going, you know, it's really interesting. I always find it fascinating when I talk to somebody about this condition. You know, it, there's a lot of people don't, don't really kind of put the pieces together. You know, they don't put the 
that exercise has really played a role in kind of the changing of their cycles. So I think if you're somebody that's had regular cycles and all of a sudden your cycles start to space out, you start to miss periods, they start to get lighter. Those are kind of all signs that you should start thinking about maybe my exercise is not what it should be. And so, and I think people don't also get that it's not only the amount of time that you do the exercise, but it's the types of exercise. And Carrie kind of alluded to this earlier. We know that if you look at a swimmer and a runner at the same body mass index, essentially the same weight, that swimmers tend to menstruate longer than runners do. So just the physical activity that you do, the specific activity can be problematic. And so we know that running tends to be harder on the body. And also as a sort of a, unfortunately now, former runner. I, I was a runner up until July until I injured my hip. But I also know that when somebody tells me that, you know, I'll ask them, I'll say, well, how much do you run? How many days a week do you run? And how intense is your exercise? And so when somebody says, oh, I run a seven and a half minute mile, I'm like, you're booking it. That's that's pretty intense to be running <laughs> that quickly, you know? And so I'll tell those patients a lot of times, you don't necessarily have to give up running, but you need to dial it back. And I don't know what the right number is, but I would say if you run a seven minute mile, I'll start running a 10 minute mile. You can still run, but run for less time, run for fewer numbers of days and just don't be as intense with your activity. What do you think, Carrie? I think one of the hardest things with patients like that is is the negotiation because I feel like that is a, a very complex thread of have a patient come in and and oftentimes it's very apparent because they either have a job that requires that kind of physical activity you know Cirque du Soleil and the gymnast shows here in Vegas oh yeah that's mm-hmm. that's a huge one here oh, plus wow. so many fitness instructors and and sometimes it's just someone who's an enthusiast like I I have had more than one woman come into my office sit down and just during the physical exam, notice like, holy cow, she doesn't have an ounce of body fat on her, which is phenomenal to her dedication, but also isn't necessarily doing her reproductive health any favors. And where it becomes so difficult is, as I say, the negotiation, because women who are exercising that much are really gaining something out of it, not just the physical health, but usually there's a mental and emotional health component to it as well. And And that is very difficult to address because when they're asking, well, I normally run 70 miles a week. What if I just cut it down to 50? What if I just go down to 45? What if I do 35 plus a half an hour of weights every day? And there's a real negotiation that happens and they think they're negotiating with me, but Abby, you're right. They're negotiating with their body. Well, and that's what I, when I started out early on, I used to sort of come up with a plan like you need to do that. And people would almost get kind of angry with me. They'd be like, well, Mm -hmm. I can't do that. And so now I don't say it's me telling you, you need to do this. Your body is telling you, you need to do this. And I can't tell you what the right number is. You just need to try it and dial things down and see what happens. And, you know, a lot of times patients um, will say, well, I, I just want to do some lifestyle changes. And, you know, it's not too uncommon that six months later, I see them back and, you know, unfortunately things haven't changed. And so they decide that they want to go through a more aggressive treatment. Yeah, I think it's, I, I, I totally agree with the the negotiation. It's a unique situation when you're having that conversation and when you're telling somebody whether they need to just gain weight or they need to dial back their their exercises that it's a very it's a very very person dependent thing and and the thing is is you know I'm I generally put it as you know 
intense exercise, not good because I kind of use the caveman type thing. If your body knows that it is physiologically struggling for survival because that's what you're putting it through each day intentionally and for a good reason, but that's like biochemically what your body's sensing that maybe your body's saying, hmm, maybe not the best time to grow another little person inside of you. And, and so, you know, and then people sometimes want to have that that exact prescription like you were talking about, Abby. But the thing is, is if you take somebody who never exercises, what's going to be extreme to that person mm-hmm. is, is yeah. a very, very different situation than if we take one of our marathon runners and it's like, okay, I know you do this. And to me, I would die because like, I'm running. You need to look to see what's behind me. But <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, is it, for those people, they can still probably exercise quite a bit, but bringing it down to where the body doesn't sense that um, same level of physiological stress. And you may have to give up some of the endorphin level, unfortunately. And, you know, when you're going through fertility treatments, it's stressful and people really like that kind of counterbalance of it. But sometimes we might be able to get to our goal if we if we kind of work in a little bit different level of moderation. Well, and I think the other component too is the nutrition component. And I think sometimes people don't sort of get that component. I've kind of over the years come up with about three or four questions and it's not really the answers to the questions, but the mere fact that they know the answers to the questions or they say certain things tells me that they're probably in this triad. So like if I usually say, well, how, what, what's your caloric intake? Oh, I eat 1,257 calories a day. You know, somebody tells me that, I'm like, okay, this is a person that's probably eating a low-fat diet, really watching their diet. And then my next question usually is, well, what do you eat for fat? And if the answer is avocados or nuts, that's number two on the list. (laughs) And I've even had a couple of patients tell me, I'll ask them, well, do you happen to know like what your body mass index is? If they know that, and particularly if they could, I had a patient one time who told me exactly what her percent of fat was in her body. And so, you know, if they can tell me that, I know there's an issue there. So I think people don't realize if you're really doing a lot of intense intense activity, you have to bump up your caloric intake as well. And, and, you know, that may, as we know, that's the other part or one of the other components of this three-pronged problem that people have. It's not just the exercise, but it's also the nutrition component and also the stress component as well. The the treatment component of when you've got someone who comes to you who says, I'm a really intense athlete, or you pick up that they're a really intense athlete and I want to get pregnant, but I don't have periods. How do I get my periods back? Um, it's also very interesting because oftentimes these people who are who are so meticulous about what they put in their body and how they work it and they take really phenomenal care of their bodies they also don't want the medications that we have to offer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that's totally fine. Um, but Or they want to start out with the most minimal types of treatments. And, and unfortunately, when you've got this type of um, abnormality going on, the brain is resorting to caveman mode of, uh-oh, we don't have enough energy to survive. This is not a good environment. Don't create a small human being. <laughs> and so it just stops sending off the signals to the ovaries to release an egg. Well, us giving oral medications doesn't particularly help that. And so oftentimes we have to go straight to injectables and injectable medications work phenomenally well. But when you're doing it in terms of an insemination where you're just putting sperm in, you have to be 
really careful so you don't end up with the next TV show of Johnny Cake Plus Eight um, and having a ton of babies in there because that's that using injectables is how that happens. Um, or you're talking about doing IVF, which is wildly effective, but oftentimes the exact opposite of these patients who are just so meticulous about their bodies, the exact opposite of what they really want to do. Mm-hmm. And so it's, um, it's, it's a real conundrum as you get into it with these patients, because you want to tell them your body's telling you to do something and you need to slow down. And that's really hard. And they're, they're at odds with themselves. I think the good news is, though, a lot of these patients are really young and really usually have a really good egg number. I mean, you look at their ovaries, and sometimes they can be confused for a PCOS patient because they have so many eggs. And so, you know, the good news is most of the time, those types of patients are not under the gun because they're, you know, older and we're worried about egg quality. So, you know, I think it's reasonable because you're right, Carrie, a lot of the very same patients who are really you know, you know, really watch everything they eat and they want to take really good care of their bodies. A lot of times those are exactly the patients who really have a hard time going on injectable drugs, which is what yeah. they really need to do for the most part. And so, I mean, I think it's reasonable to, to say, you know, try and make these lifestyle changes and come back and see me in about six months or, you know, four to six months if you've not had a period. And then we can kind of talk again. And I think at that point, they're more open to, to other options. I think one um, kind of disconnect that we're, we, tr- we have often when we're talking to our patients are these are people who, who have a, a very intense focus on healthy living, which is fantastic. And I think one thing that kind of adds to the stress level is the, I am doing everything right to make my body the most perfect it can possibly be. And having to understand that those things that may be better for your muscles and your heart and your vascular system may not at that same moment be exactly what puts you in the highest fertility bracket. Um, Because it, it, it doesn't make sense. It's like, I'm working so hard and so much harder than everybody else around me to mm-hmm. attain this physique, how is it that reproductively it's not beneficial? Like that's, that's a very hard thing to conceptualize. Um, and you know, sometimes we even recommend patients go talk to counselors to help, um, kind of work through some of those steps that we're talking about, about, you know, changing some lifestyle, um, you know, components to help improve our fertility, even though it may not be, you know, towards that other goal and, and ideally help, help us help you get pregnant easier and safer. So Susan, you mentioned a counselor. Does stress play a role in this condition? Stress absolutely plays a role. Um, I think I think stress is actually one thing that probably drives a lot of people to <laughs> exercise to these extremes because that that's how a lot of these people deal with stress. And so, you know, it's it's going to cause that kind of chronic stressful condition and and it's and it's ending up playing a yin and a yang. It's I'm stressed and so I exercise and now I'm exercising and I can't get pregnant and you're telling me not to exercise and it's hard for the you know woman who's involved i i think it's often hard for partners as well because they're they're trying to be supportive and they're also trying to balance their desire you know to um be parents as well and and it 
it's, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. And, and, you know, needing to talk to a counselor is, is not a shortfall. I mean, talking to a counselor is just meaning that you're wanting to figure out other ways, not necessarily better, but other ways to achieve the same result. It almost seems like an insult at times when your doctor is telling you stop exercising and gain weight. And see a counselor. (laughs) And see a counselor. Um, It's not at all. I mean, I have the counselors that I refer to are in my automatic send list on my email because I think they are so important Um, for this particular issue. Nutritionists are also really helpful. And, And oftentimes having them see counselors that are really well versed in eating disorders because these patients oftentimes don't have an eating disorder at all. But when taken to an extreme, they're, as Abby was saying, when you've got someone who can tell you she's eating 1,257 calories each day, um, when taken to an extreme, even if she's balancing her macros perfectly, it is an eating disorder. And so oftentimes those types of counselors can be really, really beneficial because they are used to working with a patient population that is intensely aware of what they eat, what they put into their body and how much exercise and how much energy they expect to burn from it. And so so referring to that community of, of professionals is really beneficial because they can help work through these specific issues because a lot of times you send to a therapist and they're going to say, oh yeah, go exercise, go for a run. You're, you're going to feel better. Those endorphins are going to be great. But if you're sending to someone who's a little bit more well-versed in that community, they're going to know, all right, maybe your run is not a good idea. Maybe we work on some other outlet for you so that you can, can feel better um, and still take care of yourself. Certainly don't do anything destructive, but help you get to the goal you're looking for because these these women, these couples are just phenomenally goal-driven and, and it's incredibly, incredibly frustrating, as Susan was saying, for them to be doing everything right and, and to not be getting where they want and to learn, hey, I'm standing in my own way. Like it's just, it's a big smack in the face mm-hmm. and, and it's not intended to be at all. It just, it feels like it. And I think one important point to, to mention is that any one of the three things we mentioned, so stress as a cause, exercise as a cause, diet as a cause, any one of those things individually by themselves can cause this condition where people stop menstruating. And, and that, in fact, if If you put all three together, it can be just a little bit of all three that can cause a problem, and that's called the athlete's triad. And so stress, exercise, and diet, all three of those things are important, and they each kind of have their own way of working. And some people, you know, exercise to the extreme, and they have minimal stress and don't, you know, the diet's not the, the big component, but other people, it's more the diet that's the problem or more the stress that's the problem. And I think all of us, when we've been in college, probably or somewhere in our lives, if we've had a lot of stress, we miss a period because that your brain just senses it's not a good time for you to be pregnant. So any one of those three things can cause an issue. I think I think it's important to know for our listeners that, you know, if you are someone who some of this rings a bell, you know, we are here to help. You know, if you haven't talked to a reproductive endocrinologist, I would highly, highly talk to somebody like us. Um, number one, 
we have the time and the ability to kind of work through a lot of these complicated issues. And we we have the resources of all these other different contacts that we can put you in contact with um, to help you get to your goal even faster. So I think that's I think that's a, an important caveat for anybody listening. The other important thing to remember is that oftentimes y'all don't ultimately need us. Um, if you're looking for a silver lining in the pandemic, I have had more than one exercise instructor who, because her classes got sidelined and couldn't have them anymore, has called with a spontaneous pregnancy test or has called saying, hey, my periods have come back to normal because they're no longer teaching incredible numbers of classes and burning insane numbers of calories every every week. And so it is possible to do this without us. Um, and, and that's always a wonderful thing to have happen because as much as we love being needed, we love not being needed even more. Any last words, Abby? No, I, I would agree with Carrie. I think, um, you know, a lot of times I was thinking, as you mentioned that, I was thinking about a patient who actually was studying for her um, doctorate. And so for maybe a year, she hadn't really had, she had just intermittent periods. And she came to see me because she finally had time because she just passed and became a you know PhD and literally we ultrasounded her. And that month she had a follicle and she got pregnant that month. So, you know, if you kind of, can alleviate one of those three things. Sometimes that that may be the tipping point for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, to our audience, thank you so much for listening and be sure to tune in next week for more. Also, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear from you. You can also visit us at fertility.suncensored to schedule an appointment with any of us or to submit specific questions. And just remember, all questions will be answered anonymously. So don't hold back. The more embarrassing, the better. All right, we'll talk to you all soon. Take care, have a wonderful week. Bye. Bye.